Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Highly Inspired. I'm Ella. And I'm Jordan. Hey, guys. We're really excited this week to talk about a range of topics kind of under the umbrella of health and the U.S. medical system and kind of the foundation of that being um, this system of not addressing the underlying issues and just giving short-term Band-Aid solutions and overall being this culture of pills and surgeries and, again, not kind of looking at your body holistically. And we're really excited to introduce a guest on that's actually going to talk about her health journey in kind of a range of different ways, both on like the mental and the physical side. Um, Sophia, do you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm so excited to be on the podcast today. Um, my name is Sophia. I'm a university student um, studying human development. Um, some of the things that I'm interested in are, are prevention research. Um, and during my free time, I also teach yoga. And I'm also a social media manager and writer for a holistic wellness company. Wow. wow that is quick at her. <laughs> and how old are you again? I am 20. Wow. So she's, what, two years younger than us and already has all that yeah. under her belt? No, you said that so well. So, yeah, you've got the East Coast side. We went to school, as our audience knows, we went to school in California. So we had the West Coast covered. Um, but I've actually never, you know, it's funny. Another guest we had on also went to, or was it Wharton? Wharton. Another school in Pennsylvania. Sorry, side note. But um, that is awesome. So you're, you were born in New York. Where in New York, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so I was born in Westchester, New York. It's about 30 minutes out from New York City. Um, it's in the suburbs, but it's not as, um, you know, here there's like not a lot of stuff or to do really. <laughs> so it's yeah. been like a big adjustment because before at home I was able to, you know, like go into the city okay. and whatever. And here it's just like, um, you know, there's the school, which is really fun, the football games and everything. But besides that, are you guys it's back like, in person first class? Yeah. Okay. So good. we are back in person. Um, we have to wear masks in the classroom. But besides that, everything is like somewhat back to normal. Okay. Still a little weird though. But. Yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been almost two years. So I'm glad to hear yeah. that it's somewhat in a limbo trying to improve. That's that's good. Definitely. Yeah. So we actually, we met you. Well, at least I met you through Instagram, through social media. And you were... Um, featured on Natural Cycles um, Instagram page, which Jordan and I have kind of briefly talked about um, that product before, and we're not endorsing it as like go. We're buy not it. brand we're ambassadors, not, no. Yeah. But we just mm -hmm. personally really like it um, because I think a lot of women our age have like struggled with finding the right like hormonal balance and dealing with like side effects of birth control and that sort of thing, and it just really isn't advertised to people that there is um, a natural alternative. And so when I saw that you shared your experience both through like a blog and your posts, um, I thought you'd be a good person to connect with on that, but also just kind of some other things as well that just kind of overreach health and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, saw, I saw your post, the long caption mm -hmm. where you sort of, was that the first time that you announced to your following that – you were using natural cycles and that that was a product that you were interested in and, and wanted to advertise? Was that the first time you posted anything about it? So that was my first official post, like on my feed, but okay, I've okay. been mentioning it a little bit, like in my stories, um, you know, kind of sharing with people like, oh, I found this new thing. Um, it's been working for me. Like you have to check it out. 
um, and like all of this stuff, some little facts about natural cycles. But yeah, that was the first time that I actually shared my full, um, my full experience pretty much. And for anyone who doesn't know what natural cycles is, do you mind just kind of explaining how the app works and how the algorithm works just at a very high level? Absolutely. So it is the natural cycles is the first FDA cleared birth control app. It's 98% effective with perfect use and 93% effective with typical use. Um, So basically how it works is the algorithm takes into account your basal body temperature, which you take every morning by mouth before you get out of bed. Um, And it has to be within a two hour window of the same time every morning. And the algorithm also takes into account um, when your period is. So you input your period in the app. um, And you can also log other stuff like mood, um, cervical mucus, um, any body aches or headaches that you might be feeling. But um, basically, it can tell you when you are fertile and when you are not fertile. And it can predict and confirm your ovulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good scientific explanation of it. And I think what's so interesting is like what you just described. There's so many intricacies and details that are a part of a woman's cycle. And I feel like when Mm -hmm. I went through like traditional sex ed class or just anything that you learn even like in college and stuff, like they never talk about that. They're just like, oh, like, here you go. Like, here's this prescription or here's this IUD and like just never think about your cycle or your body or like how you're feeling or anything like that. Do you think that there's a reason for that? Do you think it's just so part of our our culture? Um, Yeah, so for me, I think, I hate to say it, but (laughs) I think one of the reasons why, um, you know, most doctors don't recommend natural cycles is because they don't really like make a profit out of it. Yeah, And also like, like when you are going through medical school, um, you are taught a very specific thing. Like this is how this is how you're supposed to treat this. This is how you're supposed to, um, you know, provide options for birth control. Mm-hmm. So when you kind of um, suggest something different than what they yeah. are used to, it kind of it usually throws doctors off, in my opinion, and those who I have talked to. So I think it might be kind of looked down upon to want to research and learn about your own body versus just being like, oh, I'm doing this because a doctor told me that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, there's not a lot of money in people taking complete control and sort of um, maintenancing themselves without having to use any external source or any external doctors. So what Mm -hmm. Natural Cycles does that I think is really awesome is it's not just providing us this product that we can use and get um, familiar with, but it also is t- pretty much teaching us in re- in replacement of all the education that we didn't have thoroughly when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Like on the app, you, you there's all these pages that are infographics and all these brilliant mm-hmm. ways that are educating women on things that yeah. we should <laughs> know before we're 20 something years old. But um, I really, I, I just think that they're coming at it from a very holistic myth, uh just method and and um it it fills those gaps i think a lot oh for sure and i i totally agree with you that i think it comes down ultimately probably to the money um it's really Mm -hmm. interesting because i was reading this article a few i think it was maybe last week or something that someone had written on 
Substack. And they basically like outlined the history of like U.S. medicine um, all the way back to like the early 20th century. And I guess Rockefeller wanted to make a lot of money in petroleum with medicine. And he saw Mm. like, I don't know if you know anything about this, but basically he was like, oh, like the U.S. It was right when we were figuring out like, okay, what are vitamins and what does our body like naturally need to like do well? What are deficiencies? Like, so we're figuring out all these kind of more natural supplement ways to solve things. And he kind of interjected and kind of lobbied through a lot of like medical schools in America and was like, no, we're not going to teach this as a, a a way to like treat people. We're only going to look at what can you be prescribed. And so then medicine mm-hmm. became less about let's look at this like holistically and really understand like what the root of the problem is. And it was just like, let's just, yeah, I don't know. That's at least my feeling. And mm-hmm. I feel like this kind of, again, falls into that category. And it's just so easy to just, you know, once you turn a certain age, just to be either prescribed something or have to put an IUD in or whatever because I think most women go through that at some point and it's a whole industry mm-hmm. you know oh, totally yeah no the I Rockefeller think- thing it's top down I mean Rock- his whole his whole monopoly was massive and then after all these decades it's just completely yeah it's so ingrained now yeah what were you gonna say I think that you also like really have to look at the intersectionality of the issue so like looking at like who's being targeted you know it's young girls Um, and it's, I feel like it's caused by, um, you know, it's rooted in a history of undervaluing women's health. That's what I'm like mostly seeing and what both of my, like all of my research is tying back to. Um, and I also like did some research on like history that goes back, you know, far about women's health and most research was done on men. So it's kind of just like, where where were the women what's good yeah what's what's going on here and like how is this affecting how is this medicine affecting our bodies differently exactly there was like a huge lack of women involvement in like many clinical trials that have to do with the women's reproductive system so i'm talking about like way back when that's really interesting yeah so that's always you know i always think back to that like where do these values lie where are they rooted from um, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of a bigger issue than just not telling girls about their birth control options. You know, it's kind of like having to ask the why question. So what did some oh, of those I love studies? That. Yeah. What did some of those studies look like? I did not know that at all. I didn't know that that some of the. Like, See, that's why she's here. Yeah. <laughs> she's <teaching> us. <laughs> so um, I can give like a brief overview, but yeah. I don't want to like say numbers. No, nothing. Yeah, not, yeah, nothing. Yeah. 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 Just, just nothing too concrete that you could get in trouble for. Super, yeah. Just super high level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think like the biggest thing that I've kept seeing is that most, um, most testing um, and reproductive research has been done um, using male cadavers for the longest time. So that's kind of one of like the biggest red flags um, because I think that, you know, how are we supposed to know um, how the women's reproductive system works or Mm -hmm. the female reproductive system works without um, actually acknowledging it as something that's valuable and, um, as something that deserves to be known and shared with others. Mm-hmm. 
and given it its own time to to do that research and have have all that that testing done specifically on women's reproductive systems, not on men. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Has yeah. there been any correction in recent times where they've relooked at some of these studies and had women be the participants of, um, like it? Like, has there been any kind of? I mean, you're in school right now in this kind of general field. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you you and your classes discuss? Like, oh, maybe some of these studies need to be relooked at and retried. Yeah, so we definitely, um, I am in a sociology of gender class, and we talk about how, like, the flaws in research, and, you know, there's still, there's obviously more now than there was before, um, but we're still seeing that same repeated um, action of shooting young girls down when they ask questions about their cycle, when they want to learn about, um, you know, different forms of birth control other than you know, having to take pills. So I think that um, it's just really important to recognize that it's a situation that is like nowhere near close to being <laughs> solved, if that, yeah. if that wow. makes sense. I, I know that sounds like very negative, yeah. but I think there's a lot of work to be done because a lot of people are still rooted in that mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like my way or the highway in a doctor's case, I guess. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like one of the best ways would be to try to partner, I guess, with um, some of the school districts and stuff and like try Mm -hmm. to infiltrate the sex ed classes. But then again, like a lot of that is already done by other groups um, that probably would see this as competition uh, to what they're teaching, Um, even if you just taught it as like an option to be very loose about it. And then also I think that we've been so – we haven't even a lot of people haven't even had a baseline of this education over multiple generations. And especially even like guys have boys have no they have no concept of like what I don't know what women's cycles are. And None. like like they don't they don't <laughs> yeah. understand. And so I feel like even if you're like, oh, I like if you were explaining to your partner, oh, I really want to try and switch this up and, and move to natural cycles. Um, I feel like there's a lot of skepticism in that because it just is such a a new idea, right? I mean, it yeah. it sounds I, so fake almost. I have a segue and I want to bring it back a little bit to just overall holistic medicine. And I think it it comes from an observation that I've had through my health journey and also through some people that I know have had similar health journeys where unfortunately what had to had taken place is some sort of rebound effect or some sort of like hitting of a wall where whether the medicine you were taking or the antibiotics you were taking or whatever drugs you were prescribed stopped working in the way that they should and then in turn gave you like worse symptoms. And that's what happened to me because I was stuck in um, I was stuck in this loop of going to all these allergists. I had really horrible allergies and sinus issues. And then all of a sudden when everything just completely hit the fan, I found holistic medicine and then that's what helped me. And I know several people that have had totally different journeys, but I feel like that's a similar trend. And actually that um, happened with me and my like whole period birth control situation too, because it's like I found this holistic method of doing things and it's so much better and I feel so much better and my cycle so much better and everything is better and it's actually easier. 
It's just yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I guess what I was wanting to ask is, did you have a similar situation to that? It, what to what led you, led you to find um, natural cycles, or did you just totally find it on your own? Yeah. So there's many reasons why I decided to look for a natural alternative. Um, I think one of them is, so I was on the birth control pill, the hormonal birth control pill for two years. I tried two different pills. Um, one was giving me like, just making me feel so sick all the time, like nauseous. Um, the other one, oh, and also dizzy. And the other one was making me feel, um, very anxious and I would have a lot of mood swings and depression and I've never like dealt with that before and I just Mm. kind of wrote it off as like it being like me just growing up or like going Mm. through college you know like because that's what doctors told me when I would tell them like I'm so upset like I think it's like my birth control they'd be like oh like no not at all like Mm. you're just going through a phase or something like that and I um also like I also went through that with um another reason why I chose natural cycles is because I was going through um something called topical steroid withdrawal um as a result of the medicine the medication that I was prescribed to treat um my skin conditions and I know we will go into that later but that is like another reason why I chose natural cycles I needed a natural alternative to help my body heal um holistically my skin heal my emotional health heal um and so i kind of did some searching i found them on social media um and i was honestly a bit skeptic at first i was like this Mm. is i a doctor didn't tell me about this so like how is this even a good option for me like that was a huge barrier that i had to break through so I ended up, um, you know, slowly but surely <laughs> um, going through and like doing my research. Um, I know like that it really helped to find um, credible resources and listen to podcasts and hear um, real experiences, you know, not just because um, the research is great, you know, especially when it's like academic research, but it was really nice to reach out to people on social media or watch reviews on YouTube and just really hear about their experiences. And I saw a lot of um, things that I could relate to like, Oh, I'm also experiencing these mood swings. Like, Oh, like, like just a lot of things that I never knew that could be caused by the birth control pill. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting that like when you were going to your doctors and saying like, I'm having these symptoms and then not, being taken to seriously or to the level of, I don't know, just problem solving that you wanted to get through. Like then it was like, okay, I have to take matters into my own hands and you aren't even a doctor. Like that shouldn't even have to be your role in society, you know? Um, And it's, it's, it's annoying and frustrating. And then on top of it, like it's so new that you went through this kind of like skeptical period, which I think is healthy. I think it's good to do your own research about everything and you shouldn't just like see a product and be like, Oh yay, Like I'm going to do that. Um, (laughs) yeah, do your homework. Yeah. Like after, so like after you got through all of that and you, I'm sure you maybe like talked to like friends or family about this. Um, was there like a lot of skepticism from them as well? Yeah. So that's very interesting. So it was, 
it's kind of hard for me to gauge because I was also like, oh, should I be doing this? You yeah. Know, it wasn't like yeah. hardcore, like I want to do this. Okay. And like, yeah. So I kind of <laughs> went into that and I feel like my partner, um, he was like kind of the same way, but like not discouraging me, but still like, oh, like, what is this? Like, I've never heard of this. Cause like, just as you said before, you know, like guys aren't taught like literally anything yeah yeah but for real like the only thing I feel like they know is like oh like you get your period and like you can get pregnant if you have sex and that's just like the bare minimum that's all they know (laughs) that is like the two uh, yeah I mean arguably those are two big important things but yeah that's that's just like the tip of the iceberg Uh, some guy thought that ovulating was the same as a period and I was like (laughs) oh no (laughs) but they're so cute because they weren't educated it's like you can't blame them you know (laughs) and we actually have a lot of male listeners so i'm hopefully they'll like this will be educational for them yes Yes. oh yeah i'm not bashing them at all either no like it's just something that like i feel bad because like they should have they should have been taught yeah more Mm -hmm. you know and i think like if they end up being with a partner who's a woman like that's kind of important to also know about her cycle because it it affects like a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I think like for me, um, the biggest thing was being honest with my partner. So I told him immediately, like, I am not happy. Like I don't feel good. Um, I don't feel good physically. I was also just one month into topical steroid withdrawal, um, when I decided to make the switch. So I was also like, suffering from that so there was just a lot of things going on I'm like I can't do this like mentally too Mm -hmm. because I already have like the negative effects from the topical steroid withdrawal Mm -hmm. so I was honest with him I was open with him um and I was also patient you know because I wasn't gonna be like let's make a decision on the spot you know like even though it was my decision to make um I like to do like things as a team so we would spend time you know watching reviews together or looking at the the research that's backed on the Natural Cycles um, website, and you know, even just like finding new things together. So like I included him in like the majority of the process, um, and honestly, that approach won't work for everyone. Um, you know, not everyone's partner is the same. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that if if that won't work, um, then another approach is to kind of like just show the numbers, you know, like this is the statistics, like this is the chance of getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how how many days of your cycle that you are actually fertile, which is like five or six, by the way. You know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But you know, just like um like giving the high level Yeah. Yes. The reassurance and, and also I think comparing it to some of the other um, like birth control forms as well, because a lot of people don't know, like a lot of guys don't even know like, oh, you can still get pregnant like on the pill and stuff, especially yeah. if you aren't using it like perfectly. There's always a chance um, and like the percentages are actually pretty comparable with the two. Um, and I think do you feel like it made you and your partner's relationship stronger kind of going through that process and like being a team on it and tag teaming the research and stuff? Yeah, I definitely think it made us um, a lot stronger. Um, you know, he's, he always is like, he's such a good boyfriend. He always <laughs> takes my side and everything. He was, he, you know, he knows that I won't just like jump into anything without, 
looking into it because uh, he was like with me along the whole way, like through my journey with topical steroid withdrawal. He saw how much I was suffering and, you know, he probably wanted to hurt the doctors more than I did not actually hurt them by the way, but (laughs) just, you know, like very angry about it too. So I think that like he trusted me completely. Um, And I also talked to, uh, which helped, but it was really nice because he was just, you know, very supportive. And now, um, you know, I share my natural cycles app with him. We know like when I'm going to have my period, when I'm ovulating, stuff like that. So there's everything is just like out in the open and it's really nice. We just are on the same page. Yeah. 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 I, that takes a lot of, um, I guess, yeah, just trust between you two and your relationship. And I really respect that transparency because, yeah, the more that's out in the open, the less liability that you may have or the less like um, miscommunication that you may have going through each week, each month or whatever. So um, mm-hmm. I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. But I also can imagine that it's it might like you speak on it as if it was so effortlessly natural and easy for you to do that. But I'm sure there are a lot of people that (laughs) might, that may have some difficulty trying to um, go through this transition and also start having these conversations with their boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever, and it could be hard for them. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's, everyone has to navigate it for themselves in a different way, but yeah, I'm congratulations. That sounds like a great (laughs) process so far. (laughs) Thank you. Um, do you want to get into the topical steroid withdrawal and kind of what happened with that? I honestly don't. I hadn't heard about it until you mentioned it. I didn't even know it was a thing. I have no idea even how common it is. So yes. Yeah. So I have a lot to say on it. Okay. So, yes. Yes. This yes. is fascinating. So I, it's I love- really. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's really not something that you can just like. I could say really quickly. So just a little disclaimer, I'm going to try to explain it to like the best of my ability. Um, But basically it's like hell to put it lightly. Like that's basically what it is. Um, And it's a result of being prescribed um, topical steroids or oral steroids to treat conditions such as eczema or psoriasis Um, But there's also other reasons why people get um, prescribed topical steroids. Um, And so what happens is, um, at least in my experience, I have been prescribed topical steroids to treat my eczema um, since I was in elementary school. So What's eczema for people that don't know? Oh, yeah. So (laughs) eczema is a skin condition. Okay. Um, And yeah, so it's a skin condition. Um, It usually has to do with inflammation in the body. Um, It can present itself as rashes around the body, um, dry skin, bleeding, cracked skin, very uncomfortable condition. And so basically what the topical steroids do is they mask this condition. So they give you like a temporary fix. Mm -hmm. So you'll put it on, the rash will go away, but you never really solve the root cause of the issue. Um, So, you know, my parents and me listening to our doctors, you know, like we just keep getting prescribed these medications and listen to what they say. Um, And so come 17 years old, I was in high school um, and they stopped working for me. So I'm like, how the heck am I supposed to get rid of my rashes now? It's like this medication doesn't yeah. work. 
So I went to the doctor. They tried prescribing me something stronger. I took it. My skin was clear for two weeks. And then um, it all went downhill from there. It stopped working. And just to give a little bit of a background of what the symptoms are, um, basically it comes when you stop the medication, the rash covers your body completely for most people. Um, it's extreme itching. Your skin burns to the touch. Um, there's your, your skin can become so cracked and dry that you can't even move like your arms or your legs. Um, there's a lot of like flaking of skin and there's nerve pain, chills, sleepless nights, like everyone's experience is different but so sorry that you went through that it's really terrible (laughs) it's really terrible because Uh. it's like it's something that's unpredictable like when you're going through it and there's nothing that can be done besides stopping and just letting it run its course yes and it's terrible because like you'll try to go to doctors to ask for help and have them fix it, but they'll just prescribe you more and more medication. Like even if you tell them like this happened to me when my medication stopped working, they'll just try to prescribe you like a higher dose or they'll say, Oh, we'll try a different immunosuppressant. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just like really upsetting because you put in a way to where you're alone, basically like you're suffering alone and you have to figure it out yourself. Um, so that's like, it basically like this condition affects more than like, I don't know like the percentage of people that it affects, but the Facebook group that I'm in for it has like 20 K people in it. And those people I've, you know, like really bonded with and like, you know, I get tips from there and I also offer like my advice and stuff from there. So that community has, is really what has saved like a lot of people. Um, And what basically, just like to say it again in a different way, your body becomes like reliant on these drugs, you know, on these medications. So when you're depriving like your body of this, like that you've been taking for your whole entire life, it kind of goes like, hey, it's like a really unfortunate, yeah, position to be in. Well, I'm yeah. so sorry that, that that happened to you, um, and I'm glad that you're better now. Um, but when, when you first were diagnosed with this, were the rashes um, and your skin condition, was it as bad as the withdrawal, or was it significantly worse? So when I was first – wait, first diagnosed with eczema? Yeah. Okay, so it's interesting because when I was first diagnosed with eczema, I only had it on, like, the inside of my elbows – or like behind my knees, like really small patches, like barely noticeable, you know, like it was nothing crazy. But when I would go to the doctors, they would say like, oh my gosh, like we need to prescribe you this, like to take it away so that you can have like clear skin. Um, But as soon as like I, you know, the medication stopped working, like later in life, I went through, like when I started going through topical steroid withdrawal, like coming off of the medication, it spread like literally from being mm. small patches to everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it, there was like a point in the beginning where I like couldn't even like straighten my arms. I couldn't practice yoga. I was like in the middle of my yoga teacher training and I'm like, what the hell do I do? Like I can't live life. Yeah. I can't do anything. So it really like puts people in that bad position, like not being able to work, not being able to function, um, and so 
yeah, so that's basically what it is. <laughs> that is something similar happened to me as I just mentioned with my allergies. I was prescribed a uh, a nasal steroid that would calm yes. inflammation in my sinuses. And if you read in between the fine print on the label, it says don't use for more than three to four days. And they mm -hmm. told me, no, you're fine to use this on a daily basis. Well, I took it for about five years or six years. And then it got to the point where like everything, my immune system was completely down and a lot of things transpired in a horrible direction all at the same time. Um, but then that rebound effect of having to stop taking it and everything being just complete hell. I went through, yeah. I yeah, I had like a week of my entire head feeling like it was going to explode because all this inflammation had no idea how to tame itself on, on its own. So I just feel like a lot of drugs, even if it's not a steroid, when you're putting this into your body, your body thinks, oh, I don't have to do the work or I don't have to send energy to do the work in this area because the drug's doing it. So when, then when you stop taking yeah. it, everything just goes haywire. So yeah, I, I totally know that feeling of feeling helpless a little bit because you're trying to follow what the doctors are telling you. You you want them to be right. You want to report back with successes. But when you're not getting that and you're just and things are getting worse, it feels so it's like you're trapped and it's a horrible feel it's a horrible feeling. Yeah. How did you get out of this withdrawal period? What were some things that worked? Yeah, so I am not fully healed yet. Okay. Um, but I'm, you know, obviously doing a lot better. I look presentable. Yes, <laughs> you look great. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, it was crazy because if you would have seen me like six months ago, my eyes were completely blown up. Oh my my face was like had rashes here. It was terrible. Oh, and dealing with um, that during COVID too. Oh my oh, gosh, yeah. where like it was so hard to go see a doctor and like everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So like I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I'm healed yet, but I I've been um free of like any medication for 8 months, which is really cool. So I'm and it's actually working. That's the thing. Like a lot of doctors kind of say that, you know, this is BS, like this is not a thing but then it's like okay so why am I actually healing mm -hmm. now you know yeah. if it's if it, the medication didn't cause it so I think like um for me the things that help the most on my healing journey and this will also go for people who have eczema or yeah. are you know their body is kind of addicted to topical steroids or oral steroids um I would definitely recommend seeing a holistic doctor um, the person that helped me the most was my acupuncturist, which is like mm -hmm. really yeah. like random shout out to Nicole. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I thought I was just going to acupuncture to de-stress and maybe it would help out with my skin, but she ended up giving me a bunch of tips on, um, what I can eat, like cooling foods and, um, foods that are moist and they will help like bring down inflammation and stuff. So the acupuncture was like actually the first thing that helped um, because I actually started seeing like my brush like melt away from hands, which was pretty cool. Yeah, wow, it's um, amazing. And also, yeah, it's crazy. It was like, I don't want to say it's crazy. Yeah. It's not crazy, <laughs> but it's just something that I didn't expect to happen yeah. because I yeah. thought that like, you know, 
I have to take a medication for it to get better. So that was like kind of like the turning point for me realizing that I could actually, I'm actually capable of healing myself holistically. Did you, did you feel like you would have been better off from the beginning if you hadn't been prescribed the steroid or do you think that you did need it at that young age? Absolutely. I don't think that I should have been prescribed and my parents like feel terribly about it now. They wish that like if they could go back, they would never have accepted it or anything if they knew like any of the implications. So a lot of parents aren't told Mm -hmm. like a real chance of having a topical steroid addiction or topical steroid withdrawal. It's usually just seen as like a rare thing that happens, but most people that have eczema are actually addicted to topical steroids and they don't know it. So I definitely think, yeah, yeah. So like a lot of times it's, you're basically, you know that your body's addicted. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know that your body's addicted if it like comes back. Yeah. I think it's, no, sorry. I interrupted. Um, I think it's so crazy that, it's so unfortunate because obviously our parents want the best for us. And, you know, like you said, if they had known, they would have never signed you up for this. I know same with Jordan. If your mom had known what was going to go like go wrong, she wouldn't have agreed to oh, some of yeah. the treatment that you went through. And I think it's just we're taught and I think it's been even exacerbated with COVID, but it's just like we're taught not to question things. We're taught to just take everything on face value and, and that, you know, and that we should just, you know, if you're prescribed something, you shouldn't look into like the side effects or mm-hmm. ask maybe like anecdotal experience. Like imagine if um, back then, like you had access to a Facebook chat like you did now and you could have like gone to those people and been like, hey, what was your experience before I like dive into this? Similarly to like what you did with natural cycles where you read all these reviews and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been cool because the internet has allowed for people to kind of like decentralize these experiences so that not only are there like, um, can you find research on your own and like read stats, but you also can get anecdotal experiences, which I know um, typically like you can't count that. But I think in something that is like a community and someone that's gone through the same thing, getting advice from them and, and at least taking that in is helpful in a way, you know, and the internet has helped in that way a lot of the times. Yeah. So you can have references from actual living human beings that can relate and not necessarily just a doctor, or maybe some people don't even have access to certain doctors. So yeah, you're right. That's a great point. And I think it's crazy that now it's like, I've talked about this with like even organic food or like food that's better quality, like the things that should be the most primal and easy access and less human touch have become the most expensive products, harder to like only available to wealthy people, only available to certain um, social economic groups or even like different groups based off of um, background or ethnicity. And I think that that's also really unfortunate because something that is as simple as okay, figuring out how your body works, figuring out what vitamins you're deficient in, um, exercising, having access to things like uh, an online yoga class, et cetera. Like these are things that should be easily accessible to people and shouldn't be expensive, but it's the other way around. And that's really frustrating. Like I know I went through something with my health um, in college where I 
I grew up having a really strong immune system. Like my mom never let me have like any antibiotics. Like I was totally fine. Like I wouldn't even take NyQuil or DayQuil. And I came to college and there's just so many germs in college. Um, This this was pre-COVID too. So there wasn't any like social distancing or any of that sort of thing. And the dorms would be like, you had three people in a tiny dorm. And Jordan and I were in the same dorm. And we were constant. I was literally my freshman year (laughs) constantly sick with all these different infections. And then the mm. only thing that these college, like the college health place would prescribe was just random antibiotics or Z-packs. And my immune system wasn't used to like having this many like rounds of antibiotics in a row. And my stomach, like my gut got really weak. I would was prone to like all sorts of random infections, like skin infections, urinary infections, like everything. And yeah. um, like it wasn't as bad as what you went through, but it definitely was something and I didn't really understand what was going on because I had never experienced something like this but it took about a year and a half luckily before COVID for me to get my health like back on track and luckily my mom like did a lot of research but definitely like all the vitamins and probiotics that I had to take were so expensive they aren't covered by insurance you don't get a copay on it so like luckily I had access and my parents were willing to help me purchase these things but like if I didn't my immune system would have been still destroyed to this day. And I probably would have been even more susceptible to getting COVID. And luckily I knock on wood, haven't gotten COVID yet. So I think it's just, it's sad. Um, And even when with the COVID stuff, like I've noticed um, like something as simple as like taking a vitamin D supplement, like people don't even know that to help them, you know? No. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's so funny. See, all three of us, we have very similar, although in different ways, very similar journeys to how we sort of have figured out some of this holistic medicinal treatment stuff. And I feel like in a big picture, the biggest lie is that the word medicine or the term medicine that we're that we're taught since we're young, whether it applies to antibiotics or drugs, painkillers after surgery or over-the-counter meds, eye drops even, all of these um, products that uh, are under the category of medicine are not actually qualified as holistic medicinal treatments. Like there's always some sort of rebound. That's there's always some sort of side effect. There, it's not, uh, yeah. None of these things are permanent fixes, but we're taught that if it's t- if it's under the word medicine, that it's going to heal you, that it's going to fix you. But actually they're just Band-Aids that um, temporarily relieve symptoms, but don't actually attack the root of the problem. And that is the problem. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> Gets me that. riled up sometimes <laughs> because, yeah, I, I hate that like so many of us like in these young years that we're having these big bursts of of just poor health when we shouldn't be. But actually, a lot of it is because of these environmental factors and um, this uh, poor education that we've had. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I think that. <laughs> Slight rant a little bit. <laughs> What were you going to say? Yeah, I I was just going to mention like the amount of gaslighting like that I've experienced is like ridiculous. Like I also went to, um, before I knew what I was like suffering with, I went to allergists. I went to like a bunch of different dermatologists, um, general physicians. And even when I would like explain my history, clearly state that like as soon as I got off these medications, this is when it went south. Um, and like show research and all of this stuff, they just completely, you know, said like, oh, this is not, 
this is not a thing. Like you just have severe eczema. You just have, Mm. uh, you're just allergic to everything. Like don't think twice about it. Like Mm. it's fine. So that's like a huge thing. And I feel like one thing that is, you know, personal to me, um, I feel like there's like a lot of like racial inequality too in the medical system because I feel like there's been many like instances where I've been treated worse and like looked down um, by doctors, especially men because of like the color of my skin or because I'm a woman. And like, Mm -hmm. there's some people that might be like, how do you know that? But it's just like, you know, the feeling, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. just like not being taken seriously. And so that's like been, that's something that, you know, I know that isn't just a unique experience to me and a lot of people um, Mm -hmm. suffer with Mm -hmm. that because, you know, no matter how hard you fight, sometimes like it just, doesn't really get to get through to some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how you phrase that where it's not something that anyone else could pick up on, but you and, and it's just, yeah. And, and that's the only explanation that you really need to have. Um, I'm sorry you went through that. That's, that's not fun. Do, have you been to an OBGYN at all? Have, have they like, do you have a, a current OBGYN that you've explained your natural cycles journey to or are they against that? Are they for that? Like how? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I don't have like a, like one, you okay. know, like I went to one because I was like, you know what? Cervical cancer is a thing. Like, yeah. let me do this. Um, so I did go to one, um, cause I was experiencing like weird cramps. And so, um, I went to her and I told, she asked me if I was on birth control and I told her that I just recently came off of the pill and that I was switching to natural cycles. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, so like you're not using birth control. And I was just like, no, like I'm using natural cycles. Like, and I kind of like went on to say that it was like FDA approved and everything. Yeah. Because that sometimes gets through to people. Yeah. Some people need the, <laughs> the government stamp. To- yes. Exactly. <laughs> and she was just kind of like, um, she was just like, oh, um, okay like kind of just kept going <laughs> down the list and it was crazy because like the the pain or like the pain that I was feeling was because I, my body was starting to ovulate again after it hadn't been ovulating for two oh, years wow yeah and I figured that one out myself because I kept asking her do you think this is because I came off of a pill and she was like no like it's not we need to get you an ultrasound so I ended up spending like my parents ended up spending like $1,000. It was $1,000. What? Yes, $1,000 for an ultrasound. Dude, I like got scammed crazy. on some ultrasounds too, but mine were only like a few hundred bucks. But apparently, bucks? apparently, mm-hmm. maybe it's like a state by state, but apparently if you say someone um, who I've worked with gave me this advice because she – um she grew up like she's a, she's a, she was a single mom and like just had a very like unique experience kind of being in and out of using like government programs or systems and stuff and we've like talked about how uh, like just a lot of these systems in the US that are meant to like help people that are underprivileged actually are harmful like sorry this is a bit of a tangent but like for example she told me that um when she had like her son Um, she was getting like a promotion at work and she couldn't take the promotion because then she would make more money and then she couldn't like the government wouldn't pay for her child care and just like Mm -hmm. a lot of examples like that. But she told me, she was like, when you get an ultrasound, say that you want to pay the cash price because apparently that is cheaper than if you show like an insurance card, 
with a lot of things that oh, are wow. yeah which i thought was really interesting because like we're taught like oh things are cheaper with insurance but actually like insurance companies yeah. are like in bed with pharma and like a lot of the hospitals and stuff and so they overcharge people that even have like insurance you know um and even people that have yeah. insurance that's like like they need they like really really need this you know it's not even like private insurance mm -hmm. um so i thought that was really interesting and i love like hearing her perspective on her life and her those situations because i just i haven't experienced that i've been um fortunate to not have to go through that um but it, yeah it, that's crazy that you were charged like a thousand dollars i've had friends when they go to the OBGYN, they're like oh i like i have a boyfriend so i don't think i need to get like STD tested and I'm not saying that you shouldn't get STD tested. I'm just saying that they were like, oh, I don't think this is necessary. Like I already got it six months ago or a year and the 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 doctor's like, oh, like just go do it anyways. And then they're stuck with like a several hundred dollar bill that they yeah. didn't realize like, oh, yeah. like, you know, it's the one industry where they don't tell you the cost before you agree to the procedure. Like think about if you mm -hmm. went into a store and you couldn't see the prices before you purchased the item. You know, and it's weird. Yeah. Like I, it's like they sell you on it because it's for your health. And then after you already get the scan or the shot or the injection, whatever it is, then when you're ringing out and, and like, leaving at the end like, of the appointment. here's the bill. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Crazy. But finish your story. I, I So <laughs> they had you do an ultrasound. It was $1,000. That's insane. Yeah. So I had to, um, so I had to do the ultrasound and it, everything ended up being fine. And I was like, Oh, this is amazing, whatever. Mm -hmm. And also just like to go back a little bit, she didn't tell me that it would be like anywhere close to that much. Like, so I was just like, Oh, yeah, I'm gonna do the ultrasound. That's fine. But I told my parents, and they probably had an idea of like that it was going to be expensive. But, you know, they wanted me to do it because they were like nervous, you know, yeah. if the doctor says to do it, then you do it. So I went to get it done. Nothing was wrong. They did two different types of ultrasounds for me. Um, they did like the one that goes over and they did the trans, uh, vaginal ultrasound, which was a lovely experience yeah. as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we did that and then, um, nothing was found, which is a good, a good thing, but also like what the heck is going on with me. And even with, after that, like I still said to her like, Oh, could it be coming off the birth control? And she was like, no. Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was told something similar. Um, I had to do an ultrasound too because when I went off birth control, which I was on it for six years straight, which was a really long time, um, it took like several months to get back to normal on scheduled programming. And, yeah. um, and during that time when it hadn't been regular again, uh, they had me do an ultrasound. And during that, they were trying to say that I had like polycystic ovaries or they were looking for that mm -hmm. and I ended up not having that and so they kind of it was a similar situation as that where they were kind of in, in denial that it was me just getting off of birth control my body sort of reorienting itself and they would have wanted to say oh it's it's because of this or they would have rather diagnosed me with another syndrome or problem but actually I do think that it was just my body reorient reorienting itself after that that's a long time and yeah. you're you're messing up your natural hormone imbalance during the years when your horm hormones are the most profound and the most all over the place like 
yeah, it does cause long-term damage. And I'm so thankful that it oriented pretty closely to that time. And it, I'm sure for some people it could be like a couple of years. Do you think, do you guys think that there is some long-term damage? Cause I feel like there's not a lot of info of like what happens after they're kind of just like, Oh, like you come off and then like you can get pregnant right away. Or I don't know. Like that's just kind of like the general narrative, but I just don't, Yeah, it doesn't really, I don't know. I'm sure it can affect fertility for sure, but I haven't looked into the research too much to be able to speak on um, what that damage could be for, say, past when you become regular again. But, um, yeah, I, w- I would assume that there is to an extent. What do you think, what do you Sophia? Think? Yeah, what do you think? So I have something to say, but okay. I just wanted to ask. I have to reach over and grab my charger. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, oh, go for it. Of course, it. yes. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure my my device doesn't die. No, don't no, worry. No, you're good. That's smart We'll thinking. chat for a sec. <laughs> Hey, Ella. Hey, what's up? Oh, nothing. Having fun. Yeah. Hi to our new subscribers. Yeah, what's up, guys? We we got some new subscribers. I'm glad you enjoyed last week's episode. Um, yep. Tim Dillon. Tim, um, we've got to, I want him to come on so bad. Maybe one day. I got it. I know. Anyways, are you good? <laughs> yes, I'm back. I'm okay. so sorry. No, no you're yeah. fine. So, um, for that, okay, so I also, like, was wondering about that, too. I'm like, hmm, this is kind of, like, sketchy after, <laughs> no, like, I'm not judging anyone who's on hormonal birth control, but I was worried after reading about, like, what it does to your body. I was wondering, like, oh, does it have, like, any links to, like, infertility? And as of now, there's nothing that, um, you know, says that, um, you know, like, being on the pill will make you infertile in the future. Like, there's no clear um, study showing that that will happen. But um, I do remember hearing about a study with an IUD. I think it was in the 1960s. And it was a round of people in, like, the clinical trial um, ended up, like, using it and getting, like, seriously hurt by it mm-hmm. and not being able to have kids after. So, you know, there's been, like, a history and stuff like that. But I think now there's no... Um, you know, anything out saying that it'll lead to any infertility. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so with coming off of it, um, it's really like everyone else's, everyone's journey is different. So for me, um, I experienced a 68 day long cycle, um, when I came off of the pill, um, some women, when they come off of the pill or some cyclers, um, when they come off of the pill, they don't, um, get their period for like, let's say like eight months, you know, or it could be even a year. It really depends on um, the person, the individual. So I think it's not always like correct to say like, oh, you're just going to get pregnant like as soon as you come off. But I think you have to like still um, be Be like, there's a possibility that I should get pregnant. So I should either do something like natural cycles or use condoms or do something, you know, but some women actually struggle with fertility during the transition. Mm-hmm. So there might not be long-term uh, studies out there per se, but definitely that transitional period is a gray area for everyone, it seems like. Yeah, it um, really depends. Yeah, you were mentioning that study from the 1960s with the IUD, and I've kind of – I don't have a lot of specific examples like at the touch of my fingertips, but I do know kind of historically like in the U.S. Um, medical – history, especially in the 20th century and like with even like the eugenics movement and and other like experimenting with different drugs and stuff like the U.S. would target 
like minority groups especially or like would mm -hmm. go to um i think it's like what's it puerto rico mm -hmm. like like they, yeah because they would they wanted to test the drug out especially like when things were like still segregated and people didn't have like equal rights pre the civil rights movement um do have you come across any of those examples in your studies at all um because to me that's like very disturbing and i feel like a part of america's history that doesn't really get discussed in the no, mainstream at all definitely not so i personally like i've heard like broadly about those things but i can't think of like a specific study but that's mm -hmm. actually interesting that you mentioned the puerto rico thing because i'm half puerto rican okay and so hearing that i'm like oh like that is you know it's it's bad for anyone but i'm like that truly hits home um yeah so i haven't heard like okay a, a, i don't know like a specific yeah i mean study, look, yeah i mean don't quote me on that i just feel like i know for sure like a lot of people don't know this which but the like eugenics movement actually a lot of people think oh that started in like nazi germany but actually like it started in the u.s um mm -hmm. and a lot of women that were um poor or um in minority groups like were literally held down on a bed and like forcibly sterilized against their will mm -hmm. even if they were like completely healthy and it wasn't even like now you can get your tubes tied and i'm sure like they put you under and it's like by choice but back then it was very traumatic a lot of people didn't know why they were even going in like for this procedure it was targeted it was um it was honestly like a form of genocide um yeah. and it's just really like the only reason i even learned about this was actually in like a theology class that I took in high school because we went to a Catholic school. But like in traditional history classes, like we never touched on the U.S. eugenics movement. And yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want to look into that. There's probably some good books. Yeah. Um, we will send you some sources yes, if, we, if we find anything cool. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. just sorry. That's off topic. But I just I feel like it goes under the umbrella of the fact that there's so much of like our medical history that we don't know. We don't understand. Like, I didn't know today that that things were tested just on men for a period of time and even either. medicine yeah. that affected women. And like this kind of also falls into that umbrella. And I think it's really important to like face history front, you know, face it head front on. head on and um, make adjustments where needed because we shouldn't be prescribing things or doing things when there's new information to be found because I feel like science is something that's constantly evolving and changing and isn't just like set at one point in time. Do you feel like that's kind of a philosophy that you share or different? Anyway? Yes. So I think, yeah, it's so important to look back at the history, but also like pay attention to like how it's presenting itself now, mm -hmm. you know, because I think like, you know, those things, like, even though they might not be happening, like, now in the U.S., we do see, like, an increasing amount of maternal deaths in Black women, like, when giving birth. So that's, like, something that's, um, I don't know if you guys, <laughs> like, have read about that or anything, but I just, like, recently read an article on it, and I can't remember the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Now, but that just, like, scares me, like, as a Black woman, because I'm, like, so if someone has like bias or, um, you know, is racist or whatever, like they can target me. Did um, they give a reasoning for why that was happening? Was yeah. it access to the healthcare or what was kind of the, the reasoning why that 
did, did they give that, why the statistics were so extreme? Yeah, so they basically said that it was just, like, bias and, like, racism in the health system, like, the U.S. medical system. And, like, they basically just said that, um, like, the they showed the amount of, like, um, black mothers who died during childbirth is a lot higher, and there's a lot of deaths that could have been prevented as mm. well. So that was, like, really sad to see, like, people not receive, like, black women not receiving the same treatment as, you know, white mothers. And, like, I'm not saying that that's, like, every situation, but, mm-hmm. you know, there is, like, that amount to, like, pay attention to. And, you know, it's important because I think it can be overlooked, but when you start, like, putting the puzzle pieces together, it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you'd probably have to look really closely to see what those specific details of, like, the catalyst for why yeah. they weren't treated properly. But, yeah, no, I, in, a grand, in, a, in a bigger sense, when you can see those differences, then, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious. So, yes. interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually – I didn't know much about, like, the birthing process because, obviously, like, I haven't had a, <laughs> a child or really, like, thought about that yet at this point <laughs> in my life. But I actually – did some very minimal like research through um, these like groups that were actually promoting like either home births or like birthing center stuff. And I didn't know, like I never questioned like even epidurals or I don't know, just like hospital births and that sort of thing. And just like kind of the history of giving birth. And um, it's really interesting because I guess I think I don't want, I don't want, I want to say that the U.S., I think compared to some European countries, has a higher um, what child, like child or mother birth fatality rate than in other countries. Like we actually have like a higher one than some other Western countries. And um, like there's like a lot of people, there's a lot of skepticism into women getting overly rushed to like a procedure like a c-section or not waiting enough time with a breached pregnancy or even um the connection between um epidurals and potentially increased rates of postpartum depression and like having that kind of withdrawal period and i don't know all the research behind it i just know that there's been questions around that and there hasn't been enough studies to like kind of confirm things either way and that's something that i have become more interested in like dissecting and figuring out because um, I could see that being an opportunity, especially since it's really stressful and, you know, people want the outcome to hopefully be positive and they're throwing out all these extra things at you that are going to rack up the hospital bill because having a kid is not inexpensive. Like it's a very expensive (laughs) thing. It's yeah. And I don't even know how much of it's covered by insurance. I don't either. I haven't been through it yet, yeah. but I don't plan on going through it the way that most people go through it. So yeah, I've, I've gone down a similar rabbit hole of um, looking at home birth research and seeing how that whole process goes down. Or, or there's, I think that there's like an in between now too, where it's um you a go to a center. yeah okay yeah or you it's could like literally just a hospital or yeah 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 no that's another option too yeah it's interesting I don't know. Um, <laughs> more episodes on that sometime in the future <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. don't know when that'll be <laughs> yeah so but what was I gonna say 
Um, okay, so you also, so in addition to like all of this health stuff, there's also been kind of like a physical aspect to your journey. And that was, I think, primarily yoga. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. You teach yoga. Um, how long have you like kind of been practicing and how did you kind of build up to having your own practice where you are now a certified teacher and are able to instruct others? Yeah, so I have been practicing yoga for about seven years. Um, I got into it when I, so I used to be a synchronized ice skater. Okay. I used to like travel around. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, I used to do that and I used to um, compete around the U.S. And, you know, you can imagine a sport like that is really intense. And so I kind of just, you know, wasn't the most careful with my body. Um, so I think like that and some other things like made me feel like I really needed to heal my body and, you know, pay more attention to what I was doing and how I was treating myself physically. Um, so that's when I kind of like discovered yoga. You know, I started off by like watching videos on YouTube, like yoga with Adrian, (laughs) still love her, Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, that's how it started. Um, and then I ended up teaching without a certification like not really teaching yeah. but just with friends you know yeah at my high school oh, um, nice. during gym that's fun <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and it counted as like a gym credit and I would basically just <laughs> teach what I learned from yoga with Adrian okay so <laughs> I would just you know do a session with her at night like mm-hmm. on YouTube and then I would just write down everything yeah and, like, make little notes <laughs> study and it then, yeah yes and the next day teach it to my friends and that was like the moment when I found out like how much I love teaching but I didn't really see it as like happening because mm-hmm. um yoga teacher trainings you know they're expensive and I was like I'll probably get it when I'm like way older and so a couple years passed, I kept teaching just friends. I would teach community classes in the summer in my house, like open up my living room. Oh, that's awesome. Move all the furniture. Yeah. <laughs> all the furniture to the side in my living room and like have people there. Um, and then let's say, I think it was when COVID first started. So that's how long is that? Like a year and a half ago? Almost two years ago. Almost two Yeah. So when that started, I started, um, you know, I was, I started a new research lab at my, um, school and we're studying the effects of mindfulness, mindful yoga Mm -hmm. on opioid dependence. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So like they said, Hey, Sophia, like we want you to be like a research assistant, but, um, do you also want to get your yoga teacher certification and administer the intervention when it's time to do that with the participants? And I was like, like, yeah, totally. So I got my yoga training for, for my school, which is really cool. And, um, yeah, so I ended up completing that and I've been teaching and having like my private sessions ever since. Wow. I, you are so passionate. I love that. Even just starting from moving all the furniture and figuring out how to like have your sessions at home to, to now that's a great evolution. And I love the, I love the drive to, Hey, I, I, if I can do it, why don't just, I can just take control and and go out and do it. And I I love the combination between like your school and like what you're studying and also just like a side passion that you had, like ever since high school and from a young age and kind of being able to merge the two. Um, I'm really curious, what is yoga opioid 
intervention? Like what is, what does that even entail? Yeah. So I'm not sure how much I can say because we're still in like the early phases. Yeah. Um, but we're basically studying the effects of, um, mindful yoga and how that affects like the minds, like being able to control, um, being able to go through withdrawal and not go back to using drugs, like that kind of thing. And also seeing if it helps with stuff like stress and anxiety and just other things that, um, you know, you would deal with, with drug addiction. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. Um, do you feel like, have you kind of solidified what you want to do post-college and do you feel like you want to go down a more uh, traditional path or do you kind of want to go down a path where you know you're you're teaching yoga you're you're doing like kind of a mix of things or is there kind of one set thing that you're pointing in the direction to do or still figuring it or out, still That's figuring okay it out. Too. <laughs> yeah I don't expect you to know what you want to do yet but yeah <laughs> Yeah. So for me, I think like, I'm just the type of person that, you know, I'm very independent. I like starting my own thing, doing my own thing. But um, I think I'm going to want to be doing a lot of different things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like I definitely like want to keep, you know, I'll always be a yoga instructor. So that's cool. Um, but I'm hoping to go on to graduate school, hopefully get my PhD. And, oh, yeah. my gosh. That would wow. be great. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. what I'm like, really hoping for. Okay. Um, and I'm hoping to combine that work. I want to get my PhD in like psychology, neuroscience, that yeah. kind of thing. Well, we need more um, doctors that are into this type of thinking and, and yes, yes. Yeah. advice <laughs> that are skeptical Definitely. of the system. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And like, also, I think one thing that I have to mention is that um, I love like teaching yoga, but also yoga has been such a huge part of my journey and my healing. Um, Even like, you know, with switching birth control, but also like my topical steroid withdrawal, just helping heal my body holistically. I learned a lot in my yoga teacher training, but also with all of my personal practice, I like, truly believe that it is like, an ultimate healer yes so yeah yeah i know i love yoga i had to stop for a bit because i had really horrible back pain because of tennis but i don't have it anymore and i um ella you do yoga all the time yeah i do yoga like three or four times a week i would do it every day if i could like fit it into my (laughs) schedule but unfortunately like the studio that i go to either like in the mornings they either have like 5 a.m classes or 9 a.m and i'm not i can't get up at five so i have to go at night yeah yeah but um, yeah. But anyways, what was I gonna say? I feel like I feel like we kind of covered everything, right? Yeah, I I'm so glad that we were able to get a whole sense of yeah. You started out um, ice skating. What was you said synchronized ice skating? So is that yes. like in a group? Not not um, figure skating. Yeah. So I've it's never like heard a group of that. Of Sixteen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So we learned that, and then your. Um, just experience throughout high school you starting yoga if you said seven years ago you were what 13 mm-hmm. wow so young and then now you're in college I love that you already are thinking about the future you already seem like you know what you want to do um and I think that the natural cycle stuff I mean it does fit into a lot that we talked about because um it goes back to how you are an investigative personality that you sort of went 
on your own volition to sort of find a solution. You weren't seeing solutions from the doctors that you're um, listening to and that were advising you. You did the research on your own and you found that and then look what happened. And I'm so happy that um, it's working and, and Elle and I are users too. So yeah, <laughs> not yeah. users. I know that's like what they call drug addicts, but <laughs> <laughs> no, users of, of natural cycles. We, we are... <laughs> Okay, let's just disregard that. Um, you guys know what I mean. No, I know what you mean. And something else that I've really enjoyed about um, this conversation is that I feel like, sorry, Jordan, it's okay. You'll recover. Um, is that I feel like I feel like you relate to us and our podcast values in the sense that you went through this period of skepticism and questioning things and learning to think for yourself. And that is a huge um, goal of ours on the podcast is to like promote that type of thinking and thought process. Um, and you are an independent thinker. You do have um, ambitions to um, be independent in some ways. And also you're a generalist. You are clearly, you know, you're smart and specific in a lot of areas, but you're able to kind of tie all that information together and really synthesize it into this kind of new way of thinking that other people might not even share that perspective. And I think that that's why Jordan and I wanted to have you on the podcast with just as little info as we had before this, because I think I kind of get that, that sense from you, just even yeah. from seeing your social media presence. And we just love having guests and connecting with people across the world that share those same values, because I feel like I don't know. So it's not really talked about a lot in no, our world. No. And, and our it's culture. genuine too. Yeah. yeah. I, I well said. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Do you want to share your um social media? Where do they can find you on social media and, and let us know that at least? <laughs> Definitely. So okay, first thank you for saying all of those nice things about me. That's really sweet. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> thank you. So um for social media, you can find me on Instagram at underscore so so s o s o yoga y o g a okay underscore yeah <laughs> so that's my instagram handle and um yeah that's pretty much where i talk to people the most and you can feel free to just message me anytime if you want to shoot me an email there's an email button on my bio as well awesome okay. so, amazing great. we should we should definitely send this episode to natural cycles just to see if anyone would be interested in getting more perspectives from yeah. their user base because yeah it's it's good research for them too so yeah, um we're so happy that you came on sophia mm -hmm. i love this conversation you taught me even more than i thought <laughs> i'm so glad about that and um I hope that yeah we'll we'll, we'll talk soon. we'll stay in touch and we hope you have <laughs> yeah. a great rest of your school year All thank right. you thank so you. much thank you